This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, joined, as usual, by my special Texas friend. He is the executive strategist of Salesforce Marketing Cloud. He is in Austin, Texas. He is your friend, my friend, everybody's friend, the one, the only, Mr. Adam Brown. Hey, Jay, it is great to be here. You know, I just realized something as you were doing that open. You always discuss where I am here in the great state of Texas, specifically Austin, Texas, but we never talk about where you are as you record this particular I'm trying show. to not get all my shit stolen, that's why. I mean, I don't want people to know where I am. We're, I don't, I'm not asking for a zip code. or oh, a okay. yeah, not, not a lat longitude coordinates. Okay, <laughs> I, am in, I am in Unionville, Indiana today, just outside my hometown of, uh, of Bloomington. Uh, the family and I moved to the lake for the summer. So we are uh, out here at the, at the lake house uh, all, all summer, which has been great. So, uh, you know, after, after I close up shop for the day, we can jump on the boat and tool around and all that. It's been, it's been fantastic. A little more family time and uh, getting a little aqueous. Uh, it's been terrific. And you, and you don't have to do your check-ins with your parole officer too. So, I mean, it's That's a, right. It's I'm outside the county. Yeah. yeah, I'm outside the county, which I probably shouldn't go. be. Speaking of somebody who uh, probably could visit a parole officer, uh, that is the, uh, <laughs> that's the reason why we have our special guest on the program today. Uh, one of our very few repeat guests on the show, Adam, as you know, I think we've only had, man, I bet you it's not five repeat guests yeah. in the history of the show. Here we are in episode 279, ladies and gentlemen, of Social Bros, 279. This gentleman was originally on episode 14. Did you 14. know that off the top of your head or did you, you research it? I'd look it up. I'd look it up on the database. I knew it was a while ago. I didn't know it was that early. Uh, I'm sure the show is uh, is maybe a little better, uh, 265 uh, episodes later, uh, and probably five co-hosts. I am delighted to have back on Social Pros a man who needs no introduction, but I will give him one anyway. He is now the chief instigator of the Conversation Research Institute, two-time best-selling author, speaker, a fantastically smart and exceedingly entertaining individual, my friend, Jason Falls. Hi there, everybody. Thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah, we figured every five years we'd give you a shout, and uh, and here we are. That's typically how long my paroles last, so it's good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's it. You are out Let's on parole, going. back on social pros. <laughs> Let's talk about the Conversation Research Institute. What does it do? So if you think about traditional market research, 
trying to find insights about your your customers, you typically think of surveys and focus groups, and there's lots of great value to be had in that approach to market research. But what I've been doing sort of behind the scenes for the better part of six or seven years, which I've now sort of turned into a service that uh, the Conversation Research Institute provides for brands and agencies, is we actually tap into the world's largest focus group, that being conversations uh, on social media, to try to uncover insights that can help you uh, understand your customers better, understand the marketplace better, position your product better, or, you know, just sort of mine and cultivate um, what your customers are saying about how they use your product, how they use your competitors, et cetera. So going deeper than social listening, which I think is a very superficial look at what's being said out there and actually trying to analyze and understand those conversations to make smarter business and marketing decisions. You've been interested in this topic and this kind of work for a long time. Now you have an entire research institute devoted to this topic. What has changed since you first started to do this kind of conversation research versus today? Is it is it a more mature industry? Is it still uh, immature? Do you feel like brands and agencies are more receptive to this kind of market research uh, compared to where they were a few years ago? Well, I think that I don't think much has changed because I don't think there's been a great deal of work or innovation in the area. I've been doing it sort of behind the scenes for clients at the various brands and agencies that I've worked with over the course of the last five or six years. I, I don't know very many people out there who are offering deep conversation research as a as a service or a product. The social listening platforms that are out there do a really good job of counting keywords for you, but they don't really analyze what the, the context of the conversation are. You almost have to have human eyeballs on the conversation to be able to do that. So what you're, what you're seeing out there from brands is they, they don't understand that they can get more out of social media from a a consumer insights or a research perspective because they've been using social listening tools now for let's say 10 years and it's just oh look how many people said the word poop this month that's great that doesn't really tell me anything what i try to do is go in and say you know hey when people mention your product 17 percent of them say that they are intending to purchase the product and of those 17 percent 64 percent uh wind up saying that um they're going to change they've they've changed their mind because of competitor had a, a better, you know, selling proposition. So I try to actually get into the weeds of the conversation and find out where the problems are and where the opportunities are. Whereas a social listening software, which is really just an algorithm that runs on what's out there, counts things and puts them in pretty charts and graphs. So having that analyst go into the conversation and look at it is something that I don't think most brands or agencies are used to, to having as an option. And so not very many of them have taken advantage of it. Um, there, there also certainly, I think is the, the problem that I don't know. There's not a lot that there's a lot of people out there doing it. I know some of the, uh, social listening platforms have analyst teams and there are some larger agencies that have data analysts on, on staff that will sort of dive into conversation research, but it's a very intimidating data set to dive into because it's unstructured. It's not organized and it's very time consuming and laborious to try to, you know, mine through and find out what people are saying. Is this a, something that an individual brand or a social media practitioner, a social pros listener, could in theory do themselves if they put the time into it and knew how? Or is it the type of research that, you know what, you probably ought to use a, a professional who, who really focuses on this kind of work? 
Well, I absolutely think that, you know, any social pro out there could certainly do this, um, you know, in, in theory. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that, you know, we, we, you know, I could help someone figure out how to do it in practice as well, especially if you're focused on one brand and, and sort of, you know, once you get the initial research done, you know what to look for. You, you know, can make your, your, your Boolean searches in your social listening platform, tweak them so that they're delivering good results. Um, none of them really deliver great results. Um, and then you take those good results and, and take the time to go through and sort of whittle out what you really need to be able to understand. I, I definitely think social pros can, uh, in theory, do it uh, on their own. The, the sad fact, though, is, is that you're talking about human analysis here. So if someone has an already packed 40, 50, 60 hour week worth of work, um, you know, social conversation research is basically going to add hours of time to their uh, to their docket of things to do. It's not something you can just print out a report, you know, out of a software package and say, OK, I'm done. The, the whole philosophy of conversation research versus social listening is take the superficial you know, layer of data analysis that a social listening platform gets, gives you, take the data set that it gives you and actually dive into it human, using human eyeballs. So it's not something that can be done quickly and therefore you're going to add a lot of volume to it, which is where someone like you know, me or the conversation research can come into play. One of the things that you mentioned to us off air is that you are using LinkedIn and Facebook most particularly in generating leads and awareness for the Conversation Research Institute. I found that interesting because you and I came up around the same time in the social media industry. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, a quick digression, if you'll permit me to do so here on my show. Uh, Jason Falls was the first person in the history of social media who had any sort of audience or reach who ever tweeted a blog post that I have ever written. So uh, in, in large measure, my career is due to Jason Falls recognizing that I had something worthwhile to say, and I will be forever grateful, my friend. I'm still waiting on my commission check. <laughs> One of these days, it's going to be in the mail. Uh, it's, yeah, Confederate currency. Yeah. Um, but the reason I, I bring that up is that you and I sort of made our bones on Twitter. I think it's yes. safe to say Twitter plus blog equals what what minor um, recognition you and I have. But yet you are saying quite clearly that today you are using LinkedIn and Facebook as the primary ways to generate uh, customers and leads and awareness for your new project, the Conversation Research Institute. So what about Twitter? You just feel like it's died on the vine. And, and, and I find that even more interesting because isn't most of the data, or at least a lot of the data, that you have access to as a conversation researcher, Twitter-based data? Yeah, that's that's very true. So let me I'll attack it from the the front going toward the back. So the first you know sort of question is why Facebook and LinkedIn? And I have found that Facebook and LinkedIn uh, to be um, better venues to um, you know some market and promote the Conversation Research Institute for two reasons. LinkedIn primarily because we you know we're a B two B you know company. We're going to sell things to agencies and or brands. We're not necessarily selling to consumers and being able to participate in discussions where agencies and brands are uh, engaged uh, more, which LinkedIn is a much you know more compelling network for that type of conversation um, and putting posts.
posts out there, not just on my personal LinkedIn uh, feed, but also within the Conversation Research Institute's you know brand page, um, gives us uh, exposure to an audience that has just a little bit more of a business mind and, and bend. Facebook has become a, a a good venue for us to drive exposure, awareness, and, and potential leads because we're able to target better with uh, you know paid promotions, and we're able to make sure that um, our messages appearing in front of brand managers, marketing managers, potentially account executives at agencies, research managers, uh, the types of folks who would understand what social listening is and who would understand uh, potentially the benefits of, of conversation research as a market research tool. Um, we don't spend um, you know a great deal of time uh, on Facebook or LinkedIn, but we certainly share content there. Uh, there's some thought leadership pieces out there, but they have led people to sort of understand and know who we are and have opened the door to those conversations. And so um, the second part uh, about that particular uh, question uh, is, what do I think of Twitter? I think Twitter is still a fantastic place for exposure. It's going to be a great place to drive links and drive some broad awareness. But I think Twitter for most people now is a very fast, superficial attention deficit disorder place to be. Whereas on Facebook, especially, but I think also on LinkedIn too, you get into more deep discussions and we're, we're not an easy product to describe, nor are we, is it easy for us to describe the solution that we provide? for people. So we need a deeper discussion rather than a back and forth in 140 characters. One of the projects that I know you have worked on recently is some interesting analysis and discovery for the senior living industry, mining conversations about senior living to uncover some truths and opportunities that perhaps they had not picked up on previously. Can you describe that work a little bit? And also, I'd love for you to mention how this makes sense. Because when you say senior living industry plus social media conversations, <laughs> that may not make as much intuitive sense as perhaps uh, it does. Sure. So the we, we issued, we published our first industry report as Conversation Research Institute in February, and it was about the senior living, senior care space. Now, when you and, and you know to your point on that question, you don't think of senior living, senior care as being you know active you know in social media, and it's not the brands that we study um, when we're when we're studying um, you know the 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 marketplace when we're doing an industry report. It's the consumer conversation because that's ultimately what we deliver is consumer insights. So we did some initial research to find out from talking to people within the senior care space the primary customer in the senior living space, someone who is going to be the purchase person for a nursing home care, long-term care facility, assisted living, uh, or independent living facility is typically the oldest adult child or the oldest female adult child to be more specific of the patient in question. It's typically not the actual elderly person who chooses their care because in many instances, but not all instances, that person is an incapacitated, ill, etc. Um, it's typically the oldest adult female child. And we know that um, 
there are plenty of social media conversations out there, not only, you know, of older Americans, uh, but certainly sort of that middle age tier of folks, people who are in their 40s and 50s who are deciding uh, for the care of, of a, an older loved one. They're having conversations on social media, too. This is not we were long past the days where this is a young person's game. So we launched into analysis of any conversation online that would mention one of these types of care facilities and try to figure out, okay, do people go online and talk about this? If so, at what point in the buyer journey do they go online and talk about this? And then what do they say? And so the report's about 80 or so pages. It's pretty in-depth, lots of, of insights and information that breaks down the conversation about senior care consumers um, and maps out the buyer journey. We've discovered that um, sort of the point of realization that their parent is going to need some sort of care outside of the home is the first point when people turn to social media and say, I think I'm going to you know, need some sort of care for my mother or my father. What do I do? Um, when they actually decide that they have to start selecting a facility and shopping is a second point, uh, when they actually enroll the parent is a third point, um, and then dealing with the facility um, after they have enrolled the parent or grandparent is kind of a fourth point in the buyer journey. And then there's sort of a, an asterisk fifth point, which is um, an opportunity for change. So maybe the health of the patient improves or it declines. They have to move to a different facility. So we actually mapped out the buyer journey and the insights that we were able to pull out of those instances when the customer goes online and looks for feedback, looks for information, um, you know, or even just vents frustration. Um, uh, turns around some pretty interesting insights to the brands that are in the senior care space so that they can understand their customers better, so that they can design better messaging, better targeting, better products, better services. Jason, there were a couple of fascinating things you just said in that example uh, for the um, uh, for the senior living industry. And I want to take two of them and, and have you uh, kind of uh, elaborate a little bit further. I'm curious whether those conversations um, around caregivers and family members who are looking or in that consideration funnel, if you will, for, for, for senior care for, uh, for a family member or someone like that, are those types of conversations taking place kind of on the, on the big three of, of Facebook and Twitter, or is it taking place kind of in, in, in very specific and targeted forums, message boards, communities, et cetera? Yeah, you nailed it. It's it's forms and message boards. That the the healthcare conversation is deeply personal. Um, it is not a short, you know, as I was saying earlier, it's not a 140 character conversation. It's one where you want to go back and forth with, um, you know, people who are of like mind or have some sort of, you know, expertise or experience. And so you're going to go to a forum or a message board. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but I want to say something like 65 to 75% of all the conversations we found were on forums and message boards, um, which, which is leads to a really interesting insight for the brand in question. If I am the senior marketing manager for an assisted living facility, I'm not going to worry so much about uh, participating on Twitter conversations or Facebook conversations or LinkedIn conversations. I'm going to maintain those uh, you know, brand presences on those networks, certainly, but I'm going to spend my time actually going into forums and message boards on sites like A Place for Mom.
mom.com and try to see what, you know, potential customers are asking, what they're saying. Are there any in my geographic footprint that I could say, hey, I can help you. I'm, you know, in your neighborhood. We might be a good option for you. Uh, So it really changes the way you think about social media when you think forums and message boards first. And so we I've found that in in other industries as well. When there's a longer buying process, when there's a high price tag on the final product, the majority of your conversations tend to shift to those more in-depth opportunities and, and networks. I think that's such an important point. And I know uh, in Jay's book, Hug Your Haters, he also talks about this. One of the things that when I talk to to customers around Salesforce Social Studio is it's so easy to kind of get a false sense of security if you're thinking that social listening and that's again as as you articulated Jason different than conversation listening and conversations research is not just Facebook and Twitter you you've got to look at those millions if not billions of of, of communities and message boards and I think you you really articulated that. Sure. And one other thing I, I need to throw in here, because Jay mentioned it earlier, he, he was right in asserting that the, the lion's share of what you do find in conversations uh, as a broad statement is, does come from Twitter. And it's because Twitter, A, has so many users and is basically a public sort of open network um, and can be indexed. So as long as you don't have your account set to private, you know, I can mine the insights from, you know, any Twitter feed. Um, Facebook, uh, however, is a private network. And despite what people may have in mind as a stereotype about how Facebook approaches consumer privacy, they don't allow folks like me or the social listening platforms to go and read your Facebook pages, your, your Facebook posts. Um, the only thing that's available in, in social listening platforms, um, for me, people like me or social media analysts out there to look at from Facebook are public Facebook groups or, uh, brand pages. Um, and so anything that when an individual user goes and posts on their timeline, uh, talking to their friends and followers, we don't see, we've done some testing to find out, um, how much of the conversation are we missing because we can't get to Facebook. And I think we've done seven or eight different sort of benchmark tests against, you know, known quantities of conversation on Twitter and whatnot versus what we can find using Facebook topic data, which is not quite perfect, but the best correlations that we have done over the course of six or eight different examples, we estimate that we are missing at least 60% of the conversation at any given time uh, by not being able to end Facebook. Facebook is the 800-pound gorilla in the conversation sphere, and you just simply can't get to the lion's share of it. So what we have to say when we're analyzing conversations for people is, look, Facebook is just off limits. Nobody can get to it. It's not something that a competitor will be able to do. No one can do it until Facebook says, okay, pay us a fee and we'll let you analyze those. Nobody can do it. So what we're giving you is um, analysis of everything else, anything that's public and indexable, uh, we can analyze. Yeah, it, it is a walled garden. And, you know, they're, the only real way you can you can kind of get in there, as you said, is that public uh, posts, um, either that you, that you flagged as public or on, as you said, a brand page. And it's going to be very interesting to see kind of how Facebook moves forward. Certainly, they're letting advertisers go in and do some keyword buying and lookalike audiences and the things like that. But again, very different than, than the, the fire hose, if you will, we get from, from Twitter and, and other social um, providers. 
I want to kind of go to one other interesting thing that you you mentioned, Jason, when you were talking about the senior living uh, project. You mentioned that in this case, you really weren't looking in, about conversations around specific brands initially. You were more topical. And I'm curious, are people talking about brands more or less than they were a few years ago? I think we're certainly seeing a trend towards a lot of brand customer service type conversations, as you mentioned, on Twitter. But are people kind of talking around around those types of things and mentioning brands more or less than they used to? Well, I think it depends on the industry. Like this is, here's a stunner for you. In the, in all of the conversations we found about the senior living, senior care space, I think the, the final tally after we sort of weeded out the irrelevant non-consumer posts was about 1200 uh, conversations over the course of a, of a year, uh, which is a really nice sample size. Um, um, when you, when you get down to, we, we, got rid of everything other than an actual customer consumer talking about the process. So 1200 over the course of years, a really good sample size for that type of thing. In those 1200 conversations, there were exactly two brand mentions, <laughs> two, not 20, not 200. There were two. Um, and so in that particular space, in the senior living space, people do not talk about brands. They don't talk about brand names. They don't talk about, you know, Brookfield or, uh, or Atria. They talk about nursing home or assisted living facility or someplace to, you know, enroll my mother. They don't talk about a brand. There's, there's very poor brand recall or brand recognition among that, that buyer set, at least with regard to the online conversation. Now, if you surveyed them, you know, during the process and they know where they're going, they may be able to recall it a little bit better. But again, in conversation research, you're not asking questions. You're a fly on the wall listening to what they just naturally say. So the context is a little different, but at the same time in that particular area, they're not talking about brands at all. However, when you look at automotive, when you look at uh, dining and food, uh, when you look at fashion, um, it's those are very brand centric industries, and the conversation almost starts with the brand at that point. You know, people don't just say I'm going out to dinner; they say I'm going out to dinner at the Cheesecake Factory or wherever it is they're going, uh, and so. Uh, it depends on the industry. It depends on uh, sort of what you're looking at. One thing I will say, because this is a really good point, I think, to interject this. When I'm talking to agencies or brands about using conversation research, we are still at a very immature stage where they will say, well, we want we want you to study everything people are saying about our brand. So let's take the Cheesecake Factory as a for example. If I were working with their marketing team, they would say, we want to know every time someone talks about the Cheesecake Factory, what are they saying? That's a brand audit and it's very useful and we do them. We do them frequently and we're very good at them and we can give you all sorts of of insights about the audience when they're talking about you. But I think a more important thing to consider and something that I don't think we've reached a, a maturity level in the industry uh, among marketers is they never say things that I think are smart. Like I don't really want to know as much about what they say about me as what they say about going to dinner as what they say about dining out as what they say about healthy food options. 
as what they say about dessert, you know, cheesecake in general, not just the Cheesecake Factory, right? So when you broaden your perspective and you pull back and, and look at the broader conversation about your category or about a given topic in your category, that's when you start to get really smart because you're not just looking at the conversation about you, you're looking at the conversation. And that gives you a, a heck of a lot more insights into what customers are thinking, especially those customers who aren't necessarily shopping with you. It, it certainly does. I, I'd like to say there's there's kind of three rings uh, on social listening as you articulate it. First, okay, let's let's see what people are saying about Cheesecake Factory. Second rung is okay. What are people saying about my competitors? Uh, whether it's Grady's or uh, Maggiano's or Mozzarella Grill, whatever that happens. And the third, as you said, it's topical. It's category going out to eat. Um, you know, favorite menu items uh, and those, those types of things. And I think that's one of the reasons, Jason Hua, having an expert like you involved is so critical. And that's kind of a, a tee up to my last question before I hand it back over to, uh, to Jay. I think with social media overall, one of the things that, that social media practitioners have, have really been, I think, adamant about is what I call embedding social media into the fabric of the organization. So going away from having this social team that is the gatekeeper and the only people listening to social, the only people publishing, really empowering the rest of the organization to do that. Are you seeing the same trend with kind of conversation research, market research, customer research? Um, And I would think that that would be a a challenge because as, as we've been talking here, there's so many little pieces and nuggets of wisdom that a layperson who maybe doesn't do conversation or market or communications research is going to miss. Yeah. And I think what, what our job in counseling our, our customers and our clients is, is to say, look, here are all of the things that we found. Here are the things that are relevant to marketing, which is typically who we talk to. Um, we've talked to some senior level folks from a strategy perspective as well on product positioning and whatnot. But our job is to go back and say, here's what we found. Here's what's relevant to marketing. But hey, here's what's relevant to your supply chain. Here's what's relevant to your product team. Uh, here's what's relevant to your customer service folks. And so we try to help them understand that there's far more than just marketing insights that can come out of this. Um, one of the, a perfect example that I, I love sharing and uh, one of these days, I'm going to get a cease and desist letter on this, which is fantastic. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Well, it goes um, with your probation. Yeah. It, ab- absolutely. So we did analysis of Dirt Devil vacuums, not because Dirt Devil hired us. We did it because it, Dirt Devil vacuums would be an easier brand to sort of disambiguate from, um, you know, other other things. And so we just wanted to kind of do an example of a brand, uh, a consumer brand and say, hey, here's what we've learned about Dirt Devil. And one of the things that we found out when we were analyzing conversations about Dirt Devil vacuums is when you analyze the conversations and you score them by use case. So when people mention Dirt Devil, what are they using it for? Obviously things like pet hair and hair and college dorm rooms and hardwood floors and things like that pop up. But the, I I think it was the fifth most concentrated uh, volume of conversation around use case for Dirt Devil vacuums was uh, focused on a fan for blacksmithing. And so 
as we were like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> and if you are a blacksmith, and apparently there are still a few of those left out there, um, whether they're hobbyists or actually professionals, I have no earthly idea. We didn't do a lot of research into that particular category. But um, if you are blacksmithing and you're working with hot metal, you need a fan to constantly blow on the metal to keep it hot, to keep the embers hot. And so what blacksmiths apparently do and go online and talk about is hacking a dirt devil hand vac to use the the fan and the motor to keep that flow of air going on the, the subject that they're they're working with. And so how brilliant would that be if that conversation research were done by or taken by Dirt Devil and they turned around and said, we need to start manufacturing blacksmithing fans. That's an interesting niche segment that we could, you know, show that we're responsive to our audience and what they're saying. Uh, We found out that they're saying that they hack our our product to use it for this. So we're just going to work with them and figure out how to make one that actually works and is built for that reason so that we can sort of own that market. I mean, that's a new product. It may not be, you know, bazillions of dollars for Dirt Devil, but at the same time, what a great case study that would be if they responded to that and started making a product custom specific for that and serve that audience in a very relevant way. I think that would be fantastic. You could do a whole line for smithing, for haberdashers, the, the, whole, the whole industry. Absolutely. I'm going to do a quick uh, acknowledgement of our sponsors, and then I'm going to ask you, some quick fire questions, which we've never done on this show before, but I'm going to start with you. Oh, that's great. I know. We're just going to, it's a new segment. I just invented it while you were talking. Um, this week's show is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce Marketing Cloud, who, in addition to uh, employing Adam, also have a fantastic new ebook that I think all of us should actually download and read. It's called More Than Marketing Exploring the Five Roles for the New Marketer. It breaks down the five new essential marketing skills that we all need to have. There's interviews in there, there's stories, there's some cool interactive features too to let you know whether or not you already have these skills or whether you're missing them dramatically. Uh, so a lot, a lot of immediately actionable steps for you to think about uh, in sort of your own career trajectory. Check it out. Go to cnc.ly slash new marketer. That's cnc.ly slash new marketer. Also this week, I want to remind you of the brand new ebook that my team and I, Convince to Convert, just published called The Three Types of Social Media Metrics and Why They'll Get You Promoted, all about how to measure your social media more effectively, which is a topic of some importance these days. You can get it for free. All we ask for is your email address. Go to cnc.ly slash three social metrics, cnc.ly slash the number three social metrics. Jason, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say a, a series of words, and I, and I just want you to respond with your your immediate one or two word reaction, okay? <laughs> Great. I, and, and profanity is permitted, right? Well, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, get the explicit, <laughs> we'll get the explicit tag on iTunes. We'll see what happens. Okay. Um, word clouds. Waste of time. Sentiment score. Completely inaccurate. Emojis. In social conversations. Interesting, but problematic. Stories as a form of social conversation. Ideal. Let's talk about that last one. It seems to me that as more and more people use Facebook stories, Instagram stories, Snapchat stories, uh, you've seen people say, what's next? Excel stories. Um, (laughs) that, That becomes exceedingly difficult for you to ferret out from a conversation research perspective. Uh, very compelling. You see some brands, uh, doing stories well, particularly on Snapchat and Instagram. Uh, 
where does that lead the conversation research industry? Does it mean that, that more and more chatter gets behind that, that wall that we talked about earlier? Well, there, there's a couple things that, that I immediately think of. First of all, it's, it's far more challenging from a research perspective to index catalog and understand, um, disparate posts that are strung together. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the, the way that social listening, uh, tools work now is they just deliver you posts. The posts are disconnected. It's just, Hey, here's the series of posts. Here's the timestamp on the post. Uh, here's the comments and whatnot that are associated with it. Um, it may offer you up there. Were, well, there was a link in this post to another post, but yep. you know, it doesn't show, Hey, here's the series of posts about this one topic. And that's the one thing that goes back to, you know, my answer on, on tag clouds, um, word clouds is, when you look in a social listening software at a word cloud, what you're seeing is a grid of the software's ability to count keywords and keywords are, you know, useful to a degree, but what many people uh, have been misled to believe is that that word cloud is a topic cloud. That word cloud has nothing to do with the topics that people are talking about. It only has something to do with the topics. If the topic in question, let's say customer service, is a phrase that is repeated in that conversation over and over again. But what we've learned in really analyzing and understanding conversations is that when people are talking about customer service, they use a billion different permutations to describe what customer service is. It might be crappy service. It might be customer service. It might be the waitress was terrible. The waiter was terrible. The staff was terrible, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, Stories are problematic from a research perspective because the the software is not smart enough to group and string posts together, and it's certainly not smart enough, even though it's been reported to be smart enough, to tell you what the topic of a given post or a given set of posts is. That's why you need human analysis at this point. As artificial intelligence and the algorithms get smarter, my hope is, is that the human analysis need becomes less and less, but right now I'm not seeing it. And uh, I'm not seeing it to the degree of when I do a search for a given brand, just a, just a brand name in the advanced social listening softwares that cost thousands of dollars a month to subscribe to. Um, I'm getting about 10% at best of the results that I get back are relevant to me. The rest of it is spam, crazy mentions, you know, just stuff that's not consumer conversation, stuff that's just noise. And I think that's the frustration most brands have with social listening software is they can't decipher signal from the noise. And that's why you need human analysis on it. So stories uh, poses a huge problem because there's lots of other problems. The social listening software is not solving, but from the marketer's side of the aisle, remember, I'm not just a researcher. In fact, I wouldn't even really say that I'm qualified to call myself a researcher or a scientist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I'm a marketer. And from a marketing perspective, stories are the ideal. It's the way it should be. We should be telling stories and bringing our customers along on a narrative path to some greater, you know, insight or, or, rev, or resolution or persuasive, you know, point to convert them to a customer. Um, being able to translate that ideal into how do you quantify it? How do you measure it? How do you measure its impact is a challenge that, you know, we're going to be figuring out over the course of probably the next 10 or 10 years or so. 
Jason, I, I think you have a, such an interesting vantage point on this from where you sit and the work that you do with marketers, with communicators, with, with brands. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, with what you've kind of said around uh, social listening and that balance of the art and the science of it, do you have to sometimes push back on your clients uh, and say, listen, this is, this is not what the data is showing. It's very easy to kind of look, I think, at a, at a social listening snapshot. And it's to kind of, since Jay already did the psych- psychology uh, quick take, I'll, I'll kind of make my analogy. It's almost like a Rorschach. You can kind of see whatever you want to see in a, in a word cloud. How do you kind of articulate that to customers and say, listen, here's maybe what it looks like on the surface, but really here's what's meaningful and here's what you need to discount in terms of how you make decisions based upon this data. Yeah. I mean, really what, what I have to do is I have to, if, if they disagree or they say, Ooh, there's this word is really big in that word cloud. So let's focus on that is I just have to, you know, dig in and show them. And, and typically this is, this is, it's, it's really kind of ironic and, and, and funny on one hand, but sad on another, typically the marketer who fixates on something like the, the big, bold word in a word cloud, they never actually click on it. And in most of these softwares, if you click on it and then open up the stream so that you can see the actual posts that make up that word count, that word cloud count, um, you'll see, uh, you know, let's say the word, you know, customer service is what you click on. You open it up and, you know, maybe 10 percent, 20 percent of the posts that you see are going to be relevant. Right. It's 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 someone offhandedly saying the words customer and service in some regard, but not necessarily to say the customer service at this particular business is good or bad. So you, you have to kind of hold their hand and show them. Let's drill into what you think is fascinating and let me show you why it's not. And then after I've gone through and done all this analysis of the data, let me show you what is fascinating, because I can tell you I can actually go through and tell you exactly how many posts Uh, After I've done my analysis, exactly how many posts are about customer service, and then I can break that customer service down into subcategories to show you this is customer service inquiries about your product versus customer service inquiries about your staff or the experience of dealing with your company or customer service inquiries asking how to do something with your product um, or customer service inquiries about wanting to return a product. Now I can break that that down, that topic down into categories that are actionable for you, for you to understand, holy crap, let's break down the returns and see what products are being returned and why and with what frequency so that we can understand where we have problems in uh, our our product and and the delivery of a good product that our customers can use. So you can focus on tag clouds and and big words on a screen, on a chart or a graph all you want. I'm going to break it down and make it make sense to you so that you can turn around to some member of your team and say, take this information, go forth and improve what we're doing. Well, and ultimately, that's what we're really trying to get at, right? Is actionable data, not just data for data's sake. There you go. Uh, congratulations on the Conversation Research Institute. Fascinating work that you're doing. Keep fighting the good fight. Going to close out today's show by asking you the two questions that we've asked every guest on this show, now episode 279. First question, Jason, what one tip would you give somebody who's looking to become a social pro? Focus on your goals. Um, the, and, and preferably the overall goals of the business. I think too many social pros are focused on, you know, building fans and followers or engaging their audience or whatever. And all that's great. It's all part of it. 
But if you are not doing what you do as a social pro with the business objective or business objectives in mind of the company you're doing it for, then you're going to get lost along the way. Focus on your goals. Last question for Jason Falls, Conversation Research Institute. If you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? Oh, man. How did I answer this on episode 14? Um, I don't know. I'd have to check the database. <laughs> um, I, th- you know, I, 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 I'm, I think if I could do a Skype call with any but person right now, my goodness, that's a great question. Um, kind of my default, the person that most fascinates me in life is, is Robert De Niro. Um, I've always been a huge fan of his acting and I would love to have a conversation with him. Doesn't have anything to do with marketing. Just, I think Robert De Niro's a pretty awesome actor and I would love to talk to him. It's a great heck of an entrepreneur as well. A terrific uh, businessman. He's got a hotel mogul and, and food and beverage and everything else. That would be a great conversation. I do not believe that's what you answered last time, nor do I believe that has ever been answered in the long uh, history of the show. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, it's no, nice I, I normally stick out like a sore thumb. So yeah, that's, that's good. True. That's true. <laughs> Jason, thanks for very much for being back on the show. We're going to try and make sure we, we do this again uh, before 2022. So uh, <laughs> check your calendar. Uh, we'll make sure to, to make that happen. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to compare Jason's uh, conversation and his answers from episode 14 to now, episode 279, you can do that and a heck of a lot more at socialpros.com, where we have the entirety of this show, every single guest, every single recording, every single transcript and a bunch of other great stuff. Just go to socialpros.com and check it out. You can get lost in there for a long, long time. Don't forget, we would love your feedback on iTunes or just send me an email, j at jbear.com. Always excited to hear from our listeners, see what they're up to, uh, how we can help them improve their social media practitioning. Until next week, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. He is Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and this has been Social Pros. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext. And is produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com. <laughs>